here. How are we doing? And tonight we are going to try to cover the element of time in the events of the book uh, of Revelation. And as we start this, there's part of this that we just do not know when we're talking about the element of time and prophetic things. But uh, I do want us to turn to Isaiah chapter 13. And um, we're going to look at several references. Uh, We don't have time to look at each one of the 26 references to the day of the Lord. But we have some key uh, phrases in your Bible that deal with time. One is the day of the Lord, the day of Christ. Uh, Another is the tribulation period. And another is the kingdom. Uh, There are a few other things that are mentioned in the Bible, and and I really would appreciate your prayer uh, as we're preparing these lessons. This work in the kitchen is just weighing very, very heavy on the schedule, and uh, I would like nothing more than to be able to finish the kitchen so I don't have to go down there anymore. Uh, I just... uh, uh, I will tell you this, it's, it's a lot better than uh, several years ago. We were stuck working in the ladies' restroom for a week, two or three weeks. And uh, that's just not a place where we want to spend a lot of time. But uh, we have to get everything fixed uh, everywhere in the building. And so just pray if you would. But uh, Isaiah chapter 13. And we have this term, the day of the Lord, and it is one of those extremely abused phrases in the Scripture. People like to take it and uh, they either want to get very specific on its focus and say it talks about just one single event, or they want to blow it up and and try to uh, talk about lots of things. And people get confused when they speak about the day of the Lord because it seems that it's talking about different events. And, of course, when you have a supposed contradiction in the Scripture, what is rule number one? There are no contradictions in Scripture. God doesn't contradict Himself. Therefore, there must be an an explanation to this contradiction. Now, there's two explanations. There's ones that we can find, and then there are others we must let rest with the character of God until He fulfills those things and we actually see them come into being. And so, we're going to do a little bit of both of those things. There are some clues here in the Scripture. Uh, Isaiah chapter 13, we we have this entire uh, chapter here that is speaking uh, about uh, the day of the Lord and different things uh, that are here. But it says, the burden of Babylon. So what we know here is at the beginning of this chapter, and again, we know this, just want to say it one more time. Your chapter divisions and verses are not inspired. So sometimes you need to go beyond the chapter divisions. Uh, Many times they work out fairly well. Here we have some key words in verse 1, the burden of Babylon. So we're talking about God's judgment against Babylon. Now, why would God be pronouncing judgment against Babylon? Because they were going to be the instrument of God's hand to destroy the city of Jerusalem and the temple which Solomon had built. And there would be judgment upon the physical city of Babylon. It was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, uh, Belshazzar, who would see the writing on the wall, who would be killed by Cyrus, the the general of the Persian armies that very night during his feast in the city of Babylon. But let's look at a few of these verses. Verse 6 is what we want. How ye, for this day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. 
Therefore, all hands, uh, therefore shall all hands be faint, and every man's heart shall melt, and they shall be afraid. Pangs and sorrows shall take hold of them. They shall be in pain as a woman that, that travaileth, and they shall be amazed at one another. Their faces shall be as flames. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. Now, I want to ask you a question. Did those things happen the night that Cyrus and his army finally got the Euphrates River diverted? They opened up the brazen gates that went through the river and invaded the city and destroyed the city. Did Babylon become a desolation immediately thereafter? No. In fact, the Persian kingdom, Babylon, was one of their central hubs, and they lived and ruled in that city. For many years afterwards, the sun was not darkened. The moon did not shine, stop shining because Babylon was destroyed. But how many of you remember the biblical references to those very events as we went through the book of Revelation? Now, if you don't go like this, I'm going to go in my office and grab my notes and we'll go back through all those things. How many people want to do that? I don't see any hands going up, so just act like this. Don't lie. But uh, there are many references to those very things in the book of Revelation as events yet to happen. Therefore, we know that if we're reading a commentary or trying to understand the scripture and they say, well, this is talking about the destruction of Babylon at the hands of the Persian army, we're mistaken because the prophet is including events that are prophesied in the book of Revelation things that will happen during the tribulation period. Therefore, the day of the Lord includes the tribulation period. We go to Isaiah chapter 34, and this is not talking about Babylon by itself, but it is uh, talking about the entire world. Verse 1 says, Come near ye nations to hear and hearken ye people. Let the earth hear. And all that is therein the world, and all things that come forth out of it. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations, and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them, he hath delivered them to the slaughter. Their, their slain also shall be cast out, and their stink shall come up out of their carcasses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falleth off from the vine, and as the falling of fig from the fig tree. And we go on down through here, verse 8, for this is the day of the Lord's vengeance and the year of recompenses for the controversy of Zion. Again, we have references here and people want to make them talk about specific things, yet we see the parts of these references that tie us in to the book of Revelation the battle of Armageddon where the armies of the world that still remain are going to be gathered together and they're going to be destroyed. So we have God's judgment upon Babylon. And by the way, what is Revelation chapter 17, Revelation chapter 18 all about? But God's judgment on mystery Babylon and on Babylon the great and uh, those things, we have the prophet Joel, and, and we're not going to take time tonight to read the entire book, but 
I believe any book in the Bible that mentions the day of the Lord, Joel, is, is mentioned more in the book of Joel than it is in any other book. And it is talking about God's judgment upon Israel and God's bringing back of Israel together to him. And, of course, these things are prophesied. Where did the 144,000 come from? The 12 tribes of Israel. And you can get out your um, cryptic dictionary and your allegorical studies, and you can do anything you want, but you've got to do damage to the words of Scripture to make it talk about anybody other than Jewish men who get saved during that time period. And so we have this promise that God is going to restore Israel. And that is what part of the, the goal of, of the tribulation period as a whole is all about. But let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5. Now, this is a strange passage here, and the context is a man in the Corinthian church had been involved in gross immorality. He had refused to repent from his immorality, and Paul is giving the Corinthian church instructions on how to deal with this man. And uh, the summation of all of this is, verse 5, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I wish we had time to build this whole thing up, but what this is talking about is this man is unrepentant in his sin. He has professed faith in Christ. He's truly saved. He's truly a member of the church. The church was to come together and deal with this man in excluding him from the fellowship of the church. Not so that he doesn't come back and bother us. But so that he loses the protection of the church, the fellowship of God's people so that he is literally uncovered, unprotected, cut off from the body of Christ, into whose hands has he put himself? Into the devil's. You know, it's a serious thing when we refuse the fellowship and the leadership and the truth that is in the local church. The church doesn't give you salvation. It can't take it away. But everything else in your Christian life is dependent upon your relationship in the church. That's why you got somebody in our church you got an issue with. You need to get it settled. You can't play around. This is very serious stuff. And... Paul told them to deliver this man unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, what's that talking about? God's final judgment. He is still going to be judged as a saved person because you can't lose your salvation. But what we're going to do is ask God to destroy, to take his hand of protection off of this man until he gets right. And I believe if we had time tonight, we would go to the uh, book of Second Corinthians, and it talks about restore such a one to the fellowship of the church. One that I believe it's talking about the same guy. I ran into a preacher one time. He said, I don't believe it's talking about the same guy. I said, well, you're welcome to believe what you want. But you won't preach that in this pulpit, amen? Uh, I believe that God restores those who will repent. Amen? But there is going to be a day of judgment for those that are saved, and it's called the day 
of Jesus Christ. I believe that's included in the day of the Lord because it is talking about God's judgment against Israel, moving them back, God's judgment uh, uh, of his Christians. If you take time to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we often go there, pray without ceasing, quench not the spirit, all those wonderful commands, but the entire theme of the chapter is you don't know when the day of the Lord is going to begin, the day of Christ is going to happen, you better be ready. Now, some people get confused. They say, well, Jesus said that the day of the Lord is is going to come as a thief, that we don't know when it's going to begin and we don't know when it's going uh, when these events are going to happen. And this is what we call the doctrine of eminence, meaning the Lord's return could happen at any moment. But it also has implications in other passages that the people who are alive and undergoing the events that are prophesied in God's word are not going to have an understanding of the time and sequence. If the Antichrist showed up today and started and confirmed a peace treaty with Israel. We'll get to that in just a moment. We would say, well, wait a minute. We're mistaken about some things in the Bible because the rapture hasn't happened yet. But what would each one of us begin doing? We would get our Bible out and we would start numbering days because the Bible numbers days. Uh, This is one of the reasons why we do not believe the church is going to be present here on earth when these events transpire because Jesus still talks about them even during the tribulation as coming as a thief and taking people at unawares because the people that are going to be here are not going to be aware when all of these events are happening and a third of the world's population is dead in two years and another third is dead in another year and a half, and I mean, we're talking about all kinds of catastrophes, you're not going to sit down in church like we're sitting here and open up God's Word and all the study books of all the ages. You're going to be too busy trying to stay alive. Yet, if you and I were alive during that time, we wouldn't have to open up all the books because we already have the book, we've already studied, we already know where to go in the Bible to start counting these days. Just something to think about there. But we don't know when these events start. This is why we believe the day of the Lord begins with the rapture of His church. We, don't know, we believe that is going to be the prophetic trigger that starts the time clock ticking again. And then we go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we've already read references in Isaiah that talk about the heavens being rolled away as a scroll and all of these different things. And we go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse 3 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust. Boy, is that today's newspaper headlines or what? And saying, where is the promise of his coming? Since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Uniformitarianism. Everything continues as it already happens. That is a scientific term. And it is one that the evolutionists employ often in trying to understand how we could go through four and a half billion years of history when it's actually only been about 6,000. Amen? For this they are willingly ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, 
reserved unto judgment, unto fire, against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And uh, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that therein shall be burned up. Does that sound like a new heaven and a new earth to you? If you melt the elements, there's nothing left. The scientific definition of an element is the base unit of all matter. Right? And the elements are going to be burned up with a fervent heat. There's going to be a loud noise. If you want the Big Bang Theory, here it is. Uh, that's not how it began. It's how it's going to end. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay, we're all ready to Revelation chapter 21, are we not? So how do we reconcile all of these things? Well, it's very simple, I believe. Let's, let's pick up 2 Thessalonians 2.2. 2. Because this is a key passage as well. Verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter from us, as that the day of the Lord is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the Son of of perdition. Now, I wish we had time to really dig in right here and go through all of this, but tonight what we're trying to do is just establish time because that is one of the things that's going to give us perspective on the events of the book of Revelation. Paul says there's got to be a falling away first. Now, traditionally, People said, oh, yes, everybody falls away from the truth and they, uh, uh, they just literally leave the truth and the beast or the Antichrist spoken of here, the son of perdition, takes over. Um, could I challenge you with just a little different thought on that? That maybe that falling away is the event that we call the rapture? Because that's exactly what we are going to do from planet Earth. Is we're going to get out of here. And that is one of the things that is now hindering the revelation or the Antichrist from assuming his seat and his position. Because every Bible-believing Christian and even some who are familiar with their Bible that aren't saved, that they're familiar enough with the Bible and prophecies to understand are going to point their finger at this guy and say, hey, wait a minute, this is the wrong one. This may be the last imam, but it's not Jesus Christ. Uh, this may be uh, the great world leader, but it is not what the Bible is speaking about. And so, Paul is telling them, this is a future event. Somebody had written a letter to the Thessalonians saying, Jesus already came back, you guys missed the rapture, it's all over, all done, and you missed it. And, uh, of course, if you lived in Paul's days, when they would use human torches to light the circus at night, and that they were looking for victims to throw to the animals in the Colosseum and the gladiators and all of these things, you might think, especially not having the book of Revelation to confirm, that you were in the tribulation period of which Jesus spoke about in the Gospels. 
you'd be wrong. And Paul is saying, listen, that day can't come until there's a falling away first. The son of man, the son of perdition is revealed. He will be accepted. And we know we're in the tribulation by that part. And so the simple truth is that this period called the day of the Lord begins with an event we call the rapture of the church. We believe in a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial return of the Lord. If you hear anyone talking about a post-millennial outview of Scripture, meaning Jesus Christ comes back after the kingdom, how in the world does he rule and reign if he's not here to do it? Well, you know what the typical answer is? Well, the church will make the world such a holy place that Jesus will come and he will just assume the kingdom of the world because the church has prevailed and the world is so pure that Jesus can now come and be its king. Do we have anybody that believes that? Please sign up for special counseling and advanced medical help because you need it. Uh, yet, if we go back 120 years, that was a very predominant view. The other one was amillennial, that there is no kingdom. And of course, the only way you can get to either one of these perspectives is by ignoring the plain words of Scripture. And so the day of the Lord includes the tribulation period. It includes the great white throne judgment. It includes the destruction of all the elements as we know them and, the, and ends with that event. We have the rapture of the church. We know the Bible speaks about that gathering together of the church to Jesus Christ. It's got to happen before the millennium begins. So the day of the Lord includes the rapture, the tribulation, the millennial kingdom. It's interesting. It's a period of a little over a thousand years. And we go back to Second Peter and a verse that people often like to quote out of context. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years and thousand years as a day. And so why should we get upset if the day of the Lord is a period that's a little over a thousand years? Amen? And God has put time gaps in his prophecies before. Jesus Christ was foretold to come, Genesis chapter 3. When was he born of the Virgin Mary? Nearly 4,000 years later, according to our reckoning in time. The prophecies of Joel, talking about the day of the Lord and, and, uh, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, of course, they were all intertwined. Peter says, we need to separate a few of those things. No, the sun isn't being put out now and the moon not being turned to blood. But God is pouring out His Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And that first half of that prophecy that was being fulfilled was about 800 years distant from the time that Joel wrote it down and gave it to the people of Israel. And so gaps are not a new thing in prophecy. How many Jewish people believed that there would be a time period from when Messiah came to the kingdom? None of them. That's why they kept asking Jesus, when is the kingdom coming? When is the kingdom coming? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know. And we've been waiting 2,000 years for the kingdom to come. Not literally. None of us lived that long. But as Christians, we have waited through this time period. And we are still waiting. And so the day of the Lord is one of those inclusive Bible terms. It is talking about the future events that have yet to be fulfilled. 
You know, God didn't prophesy what we would do as a church. He told us what we're supposed to do as a church. And we're supposed to be doing the same things the apostles did. And we, again, I'm, I'm sorry for apologizing, but we can chase so many tangents out of this lesson. Why do we not pick up snakes and heal dead people and, and do all of these things uh, that the Bible says that Christians would do? Well, God already proved his word. Once the proof is done, it was in the book of Acts. To reprove God's word would be to cast doubt upon it. When you go into the car dealership and the guy says, well, let me give you a Carfax report and tell you the history of this car. You say, okay. He says, I swear on a stack of Bibles that a little old lady from Pasadena, that's 3,000 miles away. If she drove it all the way here, it's probably a wreck, right? Um, you know, you have people that confirm themselves over and over and over again. Well, you better listen and you better believe me. I'm telling you the truth. Anytime somebody keeps going, I'm telling you the truth, I know one thing. They're accustomed to lying. Who was it? Was one of those? Oh, it was actually uh, our, our present president said, "Well, I'm concentrating this this uh, campaign on promises that I can keep." You know, every once in a while, even the liar says something true. Is this on tape? I get in trouble for that. I am not endorsing a candidate. I'm just exposing the one that's there, all right? But the simple truth of the matter is, God proved his word. It's no longer in the proof mode. That has been finished. That's why we don't depend upon miracles and signs and wonders. We obey the written word of God. That was pretty weak. Which, honestly... Let me put it the right way. We struggle to obey the word of God. Amen? That's what church is about. That's why it's not part of the prophecy. Because God didn't need to prophesy that. He told us what was going to happen. And we're going to keep struggling until Jesus comes back. The day of the Lord is that future package of prophetic events that's going to last over a thousand years. It's considered one day, one unit in God's time. It is the next thing we are waiting for. If you like a key word, it is the next dispensation. And so we are operating as God has instructed us to in his word. But let me tell you, things will be different during the kingdom than they are now. We will be one with Christ. We will not be tempted to sin during the kingdom. We will be rulers with Christ. We will know his will. You know, they talk about all this mental telepathy and communication and all of that stuff. That's just man trying to do what God already says he's going to do. It says, we will know as we are known. How well does God know you? Would you like to know God as well as He knows you? I don't know about you, but there's no bigger blessing than I can think of than that. To know God as well as He knows me. Do you think I will question and say, uh, reporting for orders, Lord, what do you want me? No, if I know him as well as he knows me, I'll already know what to do. Won't be any questions. It will be a wonderful time. Amen. So now let's quickly talk about the tribulation. And we have spent 
many, many hours going through the events of the book of, tribu- of, of the book of Revelation, talking about God's judgment upon mankind. And in Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13, Jesus says twice here, actually once it's recorded twice by Matthew and by Mark, that except those days be shortened, no flesh should survive. Now, that's not too hard to figure out as we have that army of 200 million that are responsible all by themselves for one-third of the world's population. And then we have the other plagues and the earthquakes and the, the flares, solar flares and all of the things that the book of Revelation talks about and the total destruction of the sea as a place that can foster life and no rain for three and a half years. I mean, we're, we're starting to get upset because this nation is running into drought. But while the two witnesses prophesy three and a half years, there'll be no rain during their prophet days of their prophecy. What do you think that's going to do to the world's food supply? Uh, by the way, one of the horses is famine. A day's wages for enough flour to make a loaf of bread. That's a scary thought now, isn't it? Jeremiah chapter 30, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. But I want us to go to the book of Daniel. You ever wonder why Daniel is called a major prophet and some of the minor prophets are almost as long as the book of Daniel is? It's because of what's contained in the book of Daniel. It's the classification there. But we go to Daniel chapter 9 and we start in verse 24. It says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy. Now we look at that, and it says there are 70 weeks determined. Now here's what's going to happen at the end of those 70 weeks, or during this 70-week period. We have... To finish the transgression, no more sin. Make an end of sins. To make a reconciliation for iniquity, the full and finished work of redemption, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, all of God's word is going to be fulfilled, and to anoint the most holy, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to reign over this earth. All of this is going to happen during this time period that is delineated as 70 weeks. Are we still together? Now, I know somebody's gone 70 weeks, but Daniel lived a long, long time, 600 years before Christ. Uh, something ain't right here. Well, we've got to understand what the weeks are. We've got to understand the prophecy here. And let's go down, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. And the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. Now, let's just stop right here. We have seven weeks, and then we have 62 weeks. 62 plus 7 is 69. 69 of the 70 weeks end, and then Messiah is cut off, but not for himself. Now, when was Messiah cut off? The cross. Is that correct? He was cut off. His life was ended. 
not for himself, but for you and I, that he would obtain our redemption. A fellow named Sir Robert Anderson did the math. Uh, I'm not going to argue with his math. He found the date in history when the decree was given to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. He worked out the math, 200 I mean, uh, 69 prophetic weeks. Each day was a year. And so you have all of these years, and it came out to the very day, according to his calculations. And I'll loan you the book if you want to read it. Well, I won't loan it to you. I'll let you read it here, all right? Uh, I'm sure you can find it on the Internet or something like that. And if you really want it, talk to Peter, and we'll order you a book, and you can buy one in the bookstore, all right? But... According to his calculations from the day that Cyrus or Xerxes gave the command to rebuild Jerusalem to the day Jesus rode the donkey through the gate of Jerusalem was exactly the number of days that was prophesied in Daniel's 69 weeks. I don't know about you, but that's more than amazing to me. Well, we got one week left. Now, people want to argue about that one week. And they want to say it's already happened or it hasn't happened or it's going to happen. Uh, Harold Camping said it was going to last 23 years. But look what it says here. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood unto the end of the war. Desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week shall he cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolation. This is the famous phrase, the abomination of desolation. This is where it comes from. This is, the best of our understanding, the midpoint of the tribulation period. Because we read in Daniel chapter 12 that there are 1,290 days from the abomination of desolation to the consummation of all things. And then other time periods here, there's a, a, uh, a few... Uh, other days, it says, He that cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. And so we have some other days that are added to this period. And frankly, I don't know what they mean. And I haven't found anybody with any, uh, that makes any sense of all as to what these extra day periods mean. But we do get to the book of Revelation, and we have 42 months used. We have 1,260 days used in the book of Revelation twice. We have a seven-year period that the tribulation is going to happen in that is not prophetic because it is the last of Daniel's week. And it will begin when the prince that shall come. Now, we make a connection here. It says, the people of the prince that shall come are going to destroy the city and destroy the temple. And that the war is going to destroy the city of Jerusalem. But when the covenant is affirmed for this last week, the temple is going to be rebuilt. Now, could you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden they took a bulldozer up on the Temple Mount, cleared it off, built a temple, and started offering sacrifices in Jerusalem, every Jewish person in the world headed to Israel that loves the Bible at all, that cares anything about the Word. They do not have to build the temple to start the sacrifices. They didn't do that when Zerubbabel and his people went back, they set up the altar, they cleansed the temple site, they started the sacrifices, and then they built the temple. The sacrifice could start tomorrow if the Jews could cleanse 
the Temple Mount. And by the way, they are working on the ashes of the red heifer so that they can have the necessary items to cleanse the temple. They don't have it yet. Brother Clayton has said, yeah, there's somewhere under the city of Jerusalem is a vial buried with the ashes of the red heifer that was there in 70 A.D. when they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if that's true or not, but that is part of what has to happen. And this prince that shall come, he's going to make it so that the Jews can reinstitute sacrifice according to the Old Testament law. There's only one thing I wish I could be here to see, and that is the indignation of the SPCA and all these animal lovers when they start killing lambs and rams in Jerusalem. I can't wait. But we'll be in heaven. So we have a seven-year, according to the Jewish calendar time period, two 1260-day periods. We have an extra 30 days. We have an extra... Uh, 45 or so days, do the math there, uh, that are added. This is when the events of the book of Revelation, from Revelation 6 to Revelation chapter 19, that's when they're going to happen. The seals, the trumpets, the vials, Armageddon is going to be the end. Most probably, if best we can understand, Ezekiel 38 and 39 are going to happen very near to that midpoint uh, of the tribulation. And so we have the day of the Lord, which is a little over a thousand and seven years, the tribulation, which is seven years, and then the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is much spoken of. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was talking about the kingdom when he sits upon a throne here on earth and judges. There are two aspects to the kingdom, of course says, Behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. But there's also the kingdom where the lion shall lie down with the lamb, when the child shall be able to play at the poisonous snake's den, and there'll be no worry and no hurt in God's kingdom. He's going to change this world as we know it. Somebody said, well, what's a lion going to do? Uh, lions were made to eat meat, and, and what are they going to do? They're not going to kill him. Well, let me ask you a question. Were bears made to eat meat? Well, they were. They're omnivores. They'll eat anything. But I'll tell you what, if you had a big old brown bear and you gave him a choice between uh, a nice old carcass that's been laying there and uh, we won't get into the gross details in a berry patch. Well, guess what he's going to do? Both. Uh, that's what bears do. But he'll get the berries first. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, we'll all be able to live without the death of animals. Amen? I, th I think that'd be a wonderful time. But until then, Amen? I'm going to enjoy what God's given us to enjoy. But Revelation chapter 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Next verse says, And one thousand years are expired. That is the only reference in the book of Revelation that really explains the time period of the kingdom. And you know what most Bible commentators like to do? Oh, that's not talking about a literal thing. No, it is. That's why it's called the millennial kingdom, thousand milla. We're talking about Christ's physical kingdom here on earth. It's going to last a thousand years. Now, these are the events. These are the major time periods. We have smaller time periods uh, that are defined in the book of Revelation. A year, 
a month, a day, an hour for the third part of the population to die with that army of 200 million men. We have the three and a half years that the, men, that the two witnesses will prophesy. We have the three and a half years of the kingdom of the beast. Uh, we have um, the five months of torment. God is into time. But he's not telling us when it's going to start. That's why we go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Better get ready. It's going to happen. may not happen exactly the way that we're explaining it in our Bible study tonight. But you know what? That's okay. We want God to be right. But a simple and literal understanding of Scripture, consistently comparing verses and verses and verses, has brought us to this basic understanding. Now we've got the time periods. The day of the Lord is the whole thing. We're going to do a lesson on the resurrections. And then we'll do uh, 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 a lesson on several different things we ha- I have planned out. And then our, our last lesson on the book of Revelation is we're going to try to uh, just... Uh, I wish I had artistic ability. I'd draw a nice big chart. Uh, but we're going to try to put a summary timeline with the events and as many scripture references as I can fit, something to put into your hand that you can study through, look up the references, put these things together. You have to abide by the words of scripture. And the words of scripture say, get ready. Because Jesus is coming back. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask now that you would give us an understanding of your word. But the greatest understanding there is, is that which causes us to be obedient today. Lord, let us look at the big picture as we tried to tonight of this incredible time period that is, lies yet before us with all of the events that are yet to occur. Let us prepare ourselves that we will be ready when you call. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish up.